When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Rocker Report podcast where things aren't quite as rosy anymore perhaps we've just lost yesterday 2-0 to Portsmouth following a 1-0 away win at Tranmere meaning that Phil Parkinson's side of taking three points from a possible six in a series of games which felt a lot like a League One 12 pointer however all is not lost I'm sure there are plenty of lessons we can take away from yesterday's game and if you look at the league table it is most certainly still all to play for you are listening to the Roker Report podcast in association with Vaux Brewery I'm your host Alex I am joined today by Ant how you doing Ant? yeah not too bad thank you how's uh, how's life yeah, not too bad. If we'd managed to scrape a point yesterday, it would have been a lot better, but it's one defeat out of ten. I think I was kind of expecting it to be a difficult game, so, mm. yeah. There was a feeling that you were going to lose one eventually, wasn't there? Exactly, yeah. 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 I'm also joined by Sam. Um, happy to be here. Like you said, it's sort of... You sounded? Uh, <laughs> I was just listening to you there talking about the defeat of Portsmouth. No one wants to lose to Portsmouth, do That's uh, I still don't buy into the whole four rivalry that I think mainly they want to sort of promote. But well, you, your point, players. your point stands. It does. It's it. It just it stings a little bit more knowing that yeah, they got massively. to gloat. Yeah, we're also joined by former Sunderland player Kieran Brady. How are you doing, Kieran? I'm very well, thank you. How's uh, how's everything on your end? Very good, but I can only really echo the sentiments that have been expressed by Anthony Sam it was disappointing yesterday but I think sometimes you can console yourself if the performance was of a adequate standard but on all accounts it wasn't particularly mm. impressive so they get a chance to remedy it next week and you know hopefully they can get back to the mm. way that they were um, or they have been basically since Christmas Absolutely. And perhaps one way that Phil Parkinson can now remedy the situation is by exploring more options that he has added to his squad, two of which came on deadline day. There were Antoine Semenyo, I believe that's pronounced, and Declan John from Swansea, the former being from Bristol City on loan, should I say, not to omit that detail. We'll talk a bit now about the two games themselves. We'll start, obviously, chronologically. We'll there's not an awful lot as far as the Tranmere game goes to, to really talk about beyond the, the Mingan pitch and the, the one goal from Charlie White, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it regardless. And then obviously there's the Portsmouth game, which we you know I don't really want to talk about, but we kind of have to because there's a lot of things to talk about. But first things first, the three-word review. Mark Carrick says quick improvement needed. Accountant Paul says normal service resumed. Derek Carter says whinges are back. John Guy says underwhelming, underperforming, unhappy. Kelly Lee Cooper says not our dear. 52 Cal says Donald didn't spend. Mickey Luff says make earlier subs. 
Bonnie Triumph says time to reflect. Adam Reek says no capable striker. And Caldwell says let's not overreact. And James Graham says time for Grig. Hmm. Something, isn't it? Anyway, so <coughs> obviously a lot of those three, a lot of the three word reviewers, well, all of the three word reviewers there are, have, you know, aired their sentiments with regards to the Portsmouth game. And I'd imagine not really about the Tranmere one, but let's talk about that as quick as we can. So we'll go back to you, Ant. What did you make of that game? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was a poor game. Um, obviously, the pitch dictated how both teams had to play really I think we tried to play a little bit of football we just couldn't really but uh, it was important to win I, I think it was one of our game in, games in hand um, managed to get over the line decent goal good set piece nice header actually by Wyke um, and yeah it was it was just good to get a clean sheet and to get three points really. I think that's all you can really take from because literally nothing much else happened in it No, it was a really poor game it was the way it is though isn't it down there because there's not going to be any great games on that pitch Sam? Um, can't add too much to that, really. I think it was just one of those games where you need the three points, get over the line, move on, really. Um, it was never going to be your 3-0 unbelievable football, really. It was always going to be a sort of set-piece, keep the clean sheet, come away with the three points, which on the back of that game put us in a good position, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at what point do you, do you look at a pitch and just think, like, this is unplayable, like, this is really just going to... That going one. to, like... You like prevent so many of like the 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 well both teams' abilities to to play the ball along the ground at all. Like I, I, I don't know. We even look at from like last Sunday they played Manu and now Manu won six nil. But from from then until this was three days later, it it got even worse and it was dreadful last Sunday on the television. Yeah. So it's just it's just impossible and and you know the the one thing you have to do is come away with three points and, and that's what we did so yeah it wasn't great but we mm-hmm. managed to get over the line yeah did you ever Kieran have to play on a pitch like that one at Tranmere or were they always a bit better maintained oh no there would be some particularly when you get to this time of year that on the face of it may actually look quite flat and playable but if there's been a downpour in the hours before kickoff, it becomes much more liable mm. for being cut up and cut up quite badly. I actually played in a game for Sunderland against Newcastle at reserve level at Roker Park, and it wasn't a downpour as such, but the sprinklers came on during the game, and the sprinklers, I don't know if people know this, are often on the pitch, but underneath mm. you know, part, parts of the grass. Um, so that was the only unexpected downpour I think growing up in Glasgow I would have played in any conditions you know snow hail whatever you know the love of the game would always um, serve you well in that regard but I suppose for a lot of Sunderland fans certainly Sunderland fans of a certain age because they've been so accustomed to playing in the Premier League and of course in the Championship for a season they might not be accustomed to seeing their team playing on pitches of that particular mm-hmm. Well, bog standard rather than standard. Yeah, so quite literally bog standard. Yeah, and just really to, you know what, Anthony Sam had said. It's one of those that certainly if you're a player who sees himself as a footballer rather than someone that's a worker, tackler, etc. You just want to get in and hopefully get the game won, and mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, hopefully not have to play in pitches like that too yeah. often. Definitely. I think that's precisely the kind of game where, like, you would have sent Catamola wish you were here postcard, wouldn't you? Because like, he would have loved <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, Bolly. 
Johnny K, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you can slide tackle for about half a mile. Um, definitely. Oh, yeah. Like, you could, I mean, Catamore could put a reducer on the halfway line and end up, you know, end up Phil babbing the, uh, the mm. goalpost, couldn't he? He'd go, he'd go that far. Like, <laughs> I started that as a joke, but, like, it, it sort of broaches a fairly um, serious point when I look at the, the Sunderland midfield because. Like, like, like you said there, like the, the archetypal player midfielder who would have benefited there is your Lee Catamull, your Kevin Ball. Hmm. Is there a concern that we really, you know, like until we really see what Scone can offer, that we don't have someone at the club right now? Because I, I mean, I think as answered earlier, Power and Dobson are very semi kind of players, and I think both of them have kind of like shown that if the other midfield has more steel than than they do, they're you know quite easily overpowered in a, in a lot of scenarios. We were saying that last week against Doncaster, didn't we, in the first half? Got. They got absolutely tortured in the first half, off uh, just because they didn't know Doncaster's midfield shape. Mm-hmm. So it does. We, we do miss that little bit of cleverness, I think, in the middle of midfield as well. Um, I kind of think with with Dobson, especially the last three games, he hasn't particularly developed his footballing brain yet. He just kind of likes to run about. Power, I do like power, but I would I would say. He's not you're going to be your rough, tough tackler because of what happened last season with him when he got three red cards. He still mm-hmm. doesn't really go in and clatter anyone, does he? No. So hopefully this this uh, scouring or scoring, however we're pronouncing it, um, he looks as if he's going to be that kind of ilk. Um, so I would be very much on the side of putting him in next week against Ipswich, mm-hmm. who have got these kind of players as well in the middle of the park who try and bully you. So oh, definitely. that could be the... The way forward. Yeah, I think I think that's the first thing the Parkinson's got to do is yeah. to take out Dobson. I think of the two, I would take out Dobson and I would take him out for Scoan because I just think you want that bite back in midfield again. You, you need it because you need to like on our like home turf. We need to make a big statement against a team that will be contending for automatics with us. Like like a, I mean, obviously we'll get to this right at the end, but like a win, I think is non-negotiable, and you've got to put everything in place to ensure that. But anyway, on to teams in and around us. The Portsmouth game, obviously, we lost two 0 um, due in no small part to a set piece in the first half from Christian Burgess, who was relatively, well, I say relatively, completely unmarked um, during a free kick. You know, the, he's only the biggest lad um, on, on on the pitch <laughs> for Portsmouth, but you know, free header back of the net, um, absolute, you know, meat and potato stuff for him. Second half, early corner, were undone again from a set piece. It's made to look, you know, a bit too easy for us to be happy with conceding those, and despite us being actually. I would I would argue the better team and certainly the more threatening looking one in the first half. We did look like we were going to score. Should we keep this up? We unfortunately didn't keep that up. And in the second half, once we conceded the second, we, in my opinion, looked utterly toothless. But that's enough of my two pennies worth on the game. We'll go back to you, Sam. What did you make of the Pompey game? Pretty much like you said, really. I thought first half we were arguably slightly the better team. Um, but second half, it was just... It was shocking. It was one of the worst halves I've seen for a long time. I can't remember a spell of play that we had in their half and within the second half, but I don't know what was going on with the set pieces because, I mean, the one Burgess scored, they had an identical one a few minutes before that just went wide. Mm-hmm. And I think every Sunderland fan was sitting thinking, please learn your lesson, don't leave them unmarked. And I just can't for the lifers work out how we have three centre-halves and a big striker on the pitch and their biggest player is unmarked or marked by Luke O9. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand the thinking behind it, and we didn't we didn't seem to learn our lesson really at, at the corner. Just I know it wasn't the same. The, the second goal wasn't the same unmarked, but it was just went through the box, and he he was he, he was the first one there. He looked hungry, so I think it's it's just a game that we've got to move on. But if we don't come back from it with a statement, then you worry that 
it could be the start of another poor mm-hmm. run. But if it if it's just a blip, then you take it and move on. Really, if we're going to take positives away from the game of the month, what did you see that reassured you in any way? Well, I thought the first half, like you said, we were probably the arguably the better side. Um, but mm, I can't particularly think of many positives, uh, Alex, I must say, because the second half we folded like a deck of cards and it's this thing going back to what was said last week, there's no plan B. If had we maybe had a, a change of formation, a change of kind of the way we take to the game, we may have got something from but Portsmouth had us sussed out. Mm-hmm. And that that's basically what happened. Um so I must I must admit I can't think of any positives at all to come from yesterday. I, I dare say, and obviously it's there are a million different factors to consider when I say this. But if I look at the first half, we were the more like offensively potent side of the two uh, by a decent margin. By all accounts, in my opinion, the, the goal from Burgess came against the runner player because we were on yeah. top. And you know, I would say there was. Even even once they scored for the remainder of the first half, we still looked more threatening. And if anyone was going to score next, it was most certainly going to be Sunderland. Uh, th- there were some great attacking moves, and I think a lot of people had to go at Lyndon Gooch for not playing that well. I I, I disagree. I think he was he was quite decent actually. And and that that if that go, if that uh, hit from Luke on that outside of the box, if that went in, yeah, you know, yeah. crikey, that that goes in, and I think it's a whole different game because we would have got the momentum. I think. I don't think Portsmouth's heads would have dropped. I think they they are they are quite a resilient side, but I think that would have that would have probably put a bit of fear in them, and you know, co- consequently put the momentum in us. And that if that if that it spurred us on, then to get a second, then I think it is game over because I think that's when the, yeah. that that's when the heads go, especially at home for them. But no, that that those weren't the events that transpired. So obviously we are where we are. And do you think the word half time that um, Jack had literally just said to, to the Portsmouth team, right, just press them now, and we just didn't have an answer to it. Uh, I think I think our heads went. To be honest mm. with you, I think they got the, they got a second goal early doors again through a bit of a defensive blip. Yeah, nothing like nothing absolutely clinically bad, but and uh, you know like uh, it was quite disappointing given the standard we should be expecting from our defenders, especially given how good they've been you know as of as of recently. But no, I think the heads just went because there was like a spell of like ten minutes after where we looked totally scrambled, where like they could have got like three, four, five. Yeah. You know, they, they really yeah. could have like the missed absolute sit there only five minutes after. I remember where like again they worked the ball in the middle far too easily, and I don't know who it was, but he missed from like three yards out, yeah. and it's just like, yeah, like I mean, I mean they regained the composure, but they weren't the same side after that. Like they looked, they, they looked totally subdued by Portsmouth and. I will say though, like um, it was said on our on our WhatsApp group yesterday, um, yesterday will not define our season. That result yesterday won't define Sunderland's season. How we react in the next three yeah. weeks, four weeks will define our season. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is kind of the kick up the backside we, we kind of need because we kind of may be thinking, oh, we're in an unbeaten run, we're invincible again. We're not. Mm-hmm. Just been proven that yesterday by a good side. So we have a question here from Chris Parker who says, How confident are you that we can bounce back from this setback? Big games against Ipswich and Oxford coming up. Do we need to take maximum points to stand any chance of making the playoffs? I'll throw that one to the room. It's um, Ipswich and Rochdale next and then Oxford, I think. Yeah. Because uh, we've got Rochdale midweek. I definitely think we need to win both home games. Uh, and we've got Ipswich on Saturday, which they are, I think, third or fourth in the table. We need to be beaten. Simple as they're around us. We'll go above them. They got hammered yesterday at home, so their confidence will be rock bottom, I believe. So we need to be we need to be blowing them away, really. And then Rochdale are a team near the bottom 
of the of the league, and we need to be we need to be beating them as well. Mm-hmm. So six points definitely. The Oxford away game, you're happy, you're happy coming away with a point. I think same as yesterday at uh, mm-hmm. Portsmouth, we would have been happy with a point. Um, but from the, from now the rest of the season, I think if we can aim to win our home games, pick a point away, then we'll go up. When you say pick a point away, do you just mean like to the teams in and around us, or just like picking a point away? Yeah, because you're like you're taking like the teams in and around us. If you're taking a point away from them, then obviously they obviously they can't beat you, can you? So. Mm-hmm. On looking at our home games we've got left, I think we should be looking at winning all. We should be looking at winning all our home games mm-hmm. at the stadium, right? Anyway, in League One, um, and then away if we can pick up the odd win against obviously the teams who are near the bottom, and then the teams around us try and beat them or pick up a draw. Mm-hmm. That's promotion form again, isn't it? See, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know about you lads, but I, I just I have this mentality really. I mean, I, I had it even towards the Portsmouth game. I, I won't pretend I was particularly optimistic because I did feel that given that we had slipped a bit, that if a, a loss was going to come, it was probably going to come today. I was thinking that yesterday, but I just think that regardless, we should be approaching every game with the mentality of knowing it to win because we're better. Like yeah. we're the better team. Like I think if I think if a team wants to go up in the automatics, you can't ever have a comp an, a, like a mentality of compromise, especially at home. Yeah, d- at definitely. Home. Yeah, but I, th- I think it, even to say we need to go to Oxford and hope for a point, I think. I think there's too much compromise there. I think we need to go <coughs> expecting a win. If you, if you get a draw, then I think you've shot for the moon and hit the stars, really, because it's a it's a decent point to wait to a very good team yeah, at this level, you know, as yeah. you always have to say. But and who on deadline day sold two of their best players. Yeah, they yeah. who was it who went again? Baptiste Fossil and Baptiste, yeah. Because that Tarek Fossil, I mean, I know it was only first game of the season and you know, we were still not settled at all with what Ross was trying to do, but that Fosse looked like he, he looked brilliant like he was causing us all sorts of bother he, he could have mm. had one or two more and Baptiste was excellent at the Stadium of Light last yeah. season mm-hmm. um, I'd, in fact I recall thinking the, you know maybe the, those are the types of players you could see that the guy had a bit of quality mm-hmm. you know at, the, at that level um, that maybe the club could have shown interest yeah. in but we've got Alex Gorin as well who was, at the, who was at our academy wasn't he and he's a good player uh, was he? Yeah, he was. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah didn't. he was. No, I mean, how much did Ox- Oxford sign Fosu for back in the summer? Because if you if you look at this, maybe the lack of options we've got on the wings when you take out Gooch and now when you take out McGeady, could you not have done with him? Where did they get him from? Was it Charlton? Charlton, yeah. Charlton. But they 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 got shot, didn't they, when they got promoted? So yeah. I don't know, but I mean, clearly he's a very good winger yeah, by yeah, League yeah, One standards. Hence why he's now got to move out of League One, but yeah, to a promotion challenge inside as well. He's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I think they won yesterday as well. They didn't the Oxford debate uh, Blackpool two one. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've they've, re- they've reacted well. Yeah. Um, but they are still. I think they are still outside of the playoffs still. Mm-hmm. So it's it's still wide open. Like. No, absolutely. But I think what Kieran says is absolutely true. You know, they're a side who have been weakened, and for mm-hmm. that reason, I think we need to go and we need to we need to get all three points because we we, we have to we have to put faith now that. You know the the club and the manager have strengthened the side accordingly to adapt to the weaknesses that they've shown across the season so far. You know, as is the case with any January transfer window. So if they've done so, then hopefully we'll we'll reap the rewards. But we'll have to just see. So we'll talk a bit about that. It wasn't quite the flurry that we've we've seen before on deadline days, but regardless, we know there were still two additions that I think many fans will perceive as significant ones. So it's a good time as any to talk about those. We'll start with you, Sam. What did you make of the transfer business? I think when you look at it, I think we have got people in in the right areas. We desperately needed cover for Hume. 
which I think was great to get Declan John in. That not not too much cover, even a bit of competition, just because um, with Hume still being young and hungry, it'll be good to get them battling with someone again. And I think Semenyo was a good signing because we really needed a forward with a bit of pace because we've sat on here loads of times and said if now if Gooch was to get injured before we got Semenyo, we didn't have anyone to replace him really. I mean, you can always look at what more... But as we saw when he came on yesterday, he does offer something different. He will sort of look to get in behind, but it's not it's quality on the ball isn't there. So I think that was a good signing. The centre midfielder from QPR, uh, Scowan, looks like a great signing again. I've watched some of his highlights. On Twitter, I mean, you always get a mixed review from the club that they're coming from, but QPR fans, all in all, seemed a bit sort of sad he was leaving, really, and said it didn't work for him in the, with the new manager and he was treated a bit harshly by the fans. So... I think that's a, it's always a good sign to get someone who's played in the league above. So I think it was reasonably successful, but obviously we'll see when they start coming into the in the squad more. Really, yeah. I mean, obviously Scowan wasn't a deadline day transfer, but he's someone that we haven't really spoke about in an awful lot of detail. It, it it looks to me. I mean, it was the only. We'll get to this in a bit, but it was the only transfer that cost any sort of like monetary commodity at all. But yeah. regardless, he's a permanent player. He's not a loney. You know, we, we signed him. He's, he's a Sund- he's a Sunderland player yeah. for every intent and purpose. And if you look at his track record, obviously he's is it is it a decent age? Yeah, yeah, twenty six. Yeah. Oh no! Oh well, in that case, yeah, I thought he's a bit older. If he's twenty six, then yeah, he's absolutely in his prime. Yeah, yeah, he's he's played a lot. You know, I think one of the concerns with players like Lafferty was that he hadn't got Mm. an awful lot of game time, if any at all, over the past few months. Whereas Scowen has played quite frequently for QPR in the clubs before. He's, I mean, you know, again, it's it's not the uh, it's not the sort of most reliable source of information at the best of times. But if you look at his Wikipedia article, you know, if you if you look at those sort of like stats that are always beneath the player's picture, uh, he's played quite a lot of times. I think he's played more than 100 games for QPR over the past few seasons. So he's certainly someone who won't be rusty coming straight back into the fold. What do you make of the transfer business, Kieran? Well, it's very difficult to tell at the moment, but I think when you factor in that we were repeatedly told in the weeks and months leading up to Christmas that any investment, as the club would call it, when in fact it's actually a loan, would be used in a manner that would be productive for the team rather than the club and things in the background then to that end it's very 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 disappointing I don't think there's been any significant commitment from the club and it's one thing to say that Phil Parkinson was able to acquire some of the players that he had targeted however it becomes much easier to target the players that maybe on your radar when you are given such limited scope in which to work. And of course you pointed out that Scowen has came in a permanent deal. The rest are loanees. I think when you add that to the fact that so many existing players at the club are out of contract at the end of June, then it illustrates that this is a club that is, I believe, sadly returning to the type of albeit different, shambolic day-to-day running, as it were, that was so evident in the closing months or even years of the mm-hmm. early short tenure. To put it maybe quite bluntly, Kieran, does it feel a bit like this transfer business reflects that the ownership are winging it a bit? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I think what you could dissect is that over the course of the last 18 months, there's a reflection of what 
often exists in terms of players and at times management and coaching at the club and that is that there's a diminishing aspect to the hunger that people have for the club to progress. I've got little doubt that both Stuart Donald and Charlie Methvin, when they arrived here, were des- desperate for Sunderland Football Club to do well. But I don't really think that tells you anything because I think it's becoming more and more evident that their desire for Sunderland Football Club to do well was for selfish and personal ends. It wasn't to placate or pacify or make happy the season ticket holder in Pennywell or the person that uses up so much of their financial disposable income from Hendon. I think it was all about what they could potentially gain from it. And in some respects, I completely understand it. But for all their openness and transparency in the opening six or 12 months in their time at the club, I think there's been a lot of half-truths and lies (laughs) since then. You know, I think one of the best examples of that is what we've witnessed in terms of the five players. Because those five players will probably just about eclipse on a weekly wage what Aidan McGeady was on. Mm-hmm. And to that end, it's very difficult to argue that you're going to get players that have reasonable or sustainable quality. Mm-hmm. I think if there's one thing that was on the back of my mind, looking at the transfers we've made, it's it's something that I would never want to say too loudly or too often for fear of perhaps you know writing players off before they play because I'd never want to do that. You know, mm. you want every player that comes to your club to be a, a, a relative success at least. You know, but I remember when we signed Kazenga Lawalawa um, only two seasons ago, and that was a player who had a, a substantial prestige for a championship team who at the time was looking to avoid relegation, to put it bluntly. You know, he'd played quite a few seasons for Brighton at the top end of the championship when they were competing for promotion. But he was someone who came to us and it was quite clear that there was a big, big asterisk next to the name Kazenga Lawalawa because he wasn't fit. You know, mm. he, he barely played. Um, and w- when he did, he, he looked rusty and quite unremarkable. And when we signed Kyle Lafferty... I, I sort of had that nagging feeling in the back of my mind that is this a bit like that? Is this a player whose name is quite a reassuring one to see given the predicament we're in? But but there's going to be a, a hitch as to why he's come here and, and he hasn't gone somewhere perhaps better. Again, that's probably... I mean, that, that if that's an opinion that's well in the minority, then that's absolutely fair enough. And if I sound like I'm being overly negative, then I'm, I'm sorry. But that's just one thing that I was that was that concerned me. And I think hearing what you're saying there about the, the nature of the transfer window, it it sort of it, it echoes my sentiments and my concerns. Just well, a tad. I mean, I mean, the thing is, it's perhaps law of averages that one of those five will, at least in the short term, mm-hmm. work out very well. But equally, if you go and buy five products from Poundland, there's a very good chance that one of them will actually serve you well. Mm-hmm. But a football club like Sunderland, even in League One, I believe, with a genuinely ambitious, I was going to say some, you know, person running the club, but I don't, I don't actually know if there's anyone actually fulfilling that role. Especially when you consider, you know, so much was made of this £10 million figure. And so much is made of Phil Parkinson's exclusive remit being about getting this club into the championship. It's inconceivable that this £10 million and Phil Parkinson's ambitions that's been dictated by the club should not meet 
in a much greater and significant manner. And there's always an element of risk, even if you did go out. And I mean, we'll have to look at well, Greg, when you know Stuart Donald bought him, to know that there's no guarantees that come with significant expenditure. And you can, of course, try to extensuate the positives that each of those players have. Josh Scowen's a good example because if he's played for QPR as often as he has, you would like to think that he can at least compete in League One. But nevertheless, I think it's a poor reflection on the ownership of the club and what's been done. I mean, I'm going to the Ipswich game on Saturday and we're aware that the club was given a loan of £10 million. I'm half expecting when I pick up my ticket at reception at the Stadium of Light for a gold-encrusted monorail to take me to my seat <laughs> that will bypass two Van Goghs sitting aside <laughs> of the ancient Sunderland picture. And the reason I've got that conclusion is because I know that that money has not been spent on players. The lift might be fixed, though. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know a lot is made about this lift um, go. yeah, you've, got, you've, got to, you've got to take the victories when they come and we've not heard from you yet what do you make of the transfer business to be honest I can see from both sides um, definitely what Sam says we've for what we've needed to improve on, on the playing side we needed a cover for Hume Declan John will provide competition for Hume because Declan John is a half decent player I must say for League One Scowen I've only seen video highlights, so hey-ho, we'll see what happens with him. But he's got a good shot on him, and I think he's the catamore mould, isn't he? That we do kind of miss in our midfield, because I've always said this all season, I think uh, Dobson and Power are the same kind of player, and we need a little bit more in there. Um, Semenyo comes highly rated, did well at Newport last season, so needs to step up. Um, gives us a little bit of pace, gives us a bit of strength up front. Um, and obviously the, the other two signings, Lafferty and Wright, are... Uh, kind of seasoned pros aren't they and fingers crossed they can they can kind of look around running but from what I've seen of Bailey Wright so far I haven't been too impressed so we'll, we'll say we'll just have to see won't we but yeah. as what Keevan says the promise that we were given in December that the money will go on improving the squad significantly is that significantly improving our squad? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not like we're conspiring here. This isn't like, we're, you know, we're, we're chucking conjecture and guesswork about. We mm. were literally told that there was money to be invested on the yeah. team. And there's been, as we said earlier, and as is, as is clearly apparent when you look at the Sky Sports ticker of, you know, who's come in and who's gone out, the the only fee has been a seemingly nominal one for, for Josh Scowen. Mm. All the other players were either freebies or loans, you know, in, in a situation like like Kieran flagged up where a lot of players in June are out of contract. It, it seems like a very short term stopgap solution. And while the players, I think I think the vast majority of the players that were brought in are going to come in and, and do a substantial job. I don't know if they'll totally set the league alight, but I reckon that there's ground to assume that they could improve it. But the issue is that there's just a lot of discomfort, at least that, that I feel a lot of discomfort sort of like underlying and underpinning the, the signings that have been made. You only have to look at the signing of Liam Boyce by Hart. I mean, mm-hmm. again, we we don't know exactly what the, the uh, if you want to use like the, the transfer cliche, the stumbling block was, but ultimately we seem to have been the closest club to him and then all of a sudden he's gone to Hart for 150k. Now, if we didn't have 150k to spend on a striker that was you know, given his track record, very, very likely to to be the striker that we were sort of like pining for when White was misfiring, then 
that's that's quite shocking really you know we've got this 10 million loan and there's not even 150k of it to, to buy a, a proven league one striker mm. I mean that's it's a bit crap really isn't it yeah, and I mean, the issue is as well, we've got two strikers, obviously the two strikers that are in uh, contention at the minute is Lafferty and Wyke, who are kind of the same player, aren't they? So, mm-hmm. you know, if one obviously Wyke got injured yesterday, so if, say, Lafferty pulls up in training, we've got Will Grigg, who is unhappy, hasn't hasn't scored for God knows how long. Um, it would have been ideal to get someone like Boyce in, because he, I mean, he loves scoring at the stadium light for a start, and he's hit the ground running at heart, scored two and two. So. You could, when you say he loves scoring at the stadium or light, you could also have said that about Adnan Yanazai. Huh. <laughs> yeah, true. God. Yeah, it's not the best metric to judge all, all <laughs> yeah. of our signings. No. We've had a lot of players who've been great uh, against us and then absolutely horrendous for us, but Yanazai for a myriad of different reasons, where I think Liam Boyce may not have been such, as quite as complex a character in, no, in that sense right. of the word. Yeah. Liam, Liam Boyce would have been an excellent Mm-hmm. acquisition he demonstrated it last week in his debut for Hearts not just in terms of scoring the winning goal but he has a wonderful work ethic and he's given Sunderland's defenders a torrid time on numerous occasions both home and away and I wholeheartedly agree if you cannot find 150,000 then the ability to potentially out spend hearts in terms of a weekly salary mm-hmm. there's something to worry about it, it's quite a damning indictment of um, of how sort of like feeble our transfer competition has been and, and you know again while we can't quite pinpoint the reason you know a, a, lot, a lot of the evidence suggests that what we were told is in fact not the truth is not in mean, like like the, the facts that we were that were allegedly put on the table by the powers that be back in December are not the ones that have remained there in January do you think that we hit form at a convenient time. Just the convenient time for the owners to not, I don't want to say pull the wool over our eyes, but to think the players that we've got are doing well, mm. let's get a few in for cheap or nothing mm. because we're in and around the top six. Because I'm only thinking that because when Partinson first came in and it was the worst we'd ever been in our history, the underlying message was constantly just wait till January, wait till January, the 10 mm. million. And then suddenly we're unbeaten in seven and we don't mm. really do anything till the back end of January. Well, I mean, you could argue, to use your term, the writing was on the wall when you look at the reasons why they appointed Phil Parkinson in the first place. Yeah. You know, this was someone that was out of work that would see as a honour, in many respects, to be offered the position of Sunderland manager, but who was basically going to come cheap. And I think when they're going to come as cheap as that, they're negotiating position in terms of trying to get funds for transfers is all the more weaker and especially given that he's still very much in his infancy he's not going to rock the boat no and I think in a wider context in terms of the transfers I mean this is in in the time of Stuart Donald's position at the club this is the fourth transfer window and the acquisition of Will Grigg is very much the exception to the rule and as far as I'm led to believe, that was a vanity project that wasn't pursued by Jack Ross. That was something that was dictated to by the powers that be. And of course, the compensation that allowed for it was the Josh Major transfer to Bordeaux. So you cannot run a club where the people in the corridors of power are, even if they feel it's for the best reasons, undermining the football knowledge of the management team. And that's something that I'm led to believe happened 
towards the end of January last year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've got a question for you now, Kieran, from someone called SEFC. That's E-S-S-I-E-F-F-S-E-E-S-E-F-C. It's quite an imaginative name. I quite like it. It's very phonetic. Anyway, he says, have the club listened to any of the points Kieran Brady has raised in the email he sent to the club? And then a statement, Stuart Donald should listen while he's still custodian. Kieran? No, there has not been any contact whatsoever from the club with regards to that particular email and the points raised in it. Either since it was passed on or sent to Stuart Donald or since it was made public in the latter part of last year. And if I'm brutally honest, I wasn't expecting anything. And of course, any football club and the people who are tasked with running it have the responsibility of doing what they feel is right. But I wasn't expecting anything. I don't believe that football generally is innovative or imaginative enough to look at ideas that may not conform to what they regard as the norm. Part of the problem that exists in football, it's not unique in any way to Sunderland, is that it's effectively two operations that run alongside each other. And as a consequence of that, many people who are involved in the non-playing operation are completely detached from what exists within player culture. And for me, it's very evident, it was evident in my time at the club, albeit I'm going back some time, but I think it's demonstrated time and time and time again in terms of performances that too many players feel that when they arrive in this part of the world that they don't have to maintain specific standards or that the club isn't consistent in dictating to them that this is a club that has the highest of standards that have to be maintained. And that, in effect, is what a lot of the email and its content was trying to point out. You know, I sent it to the club when Ella Short was in charge. I then sent it again when Ella Short was in charge, but Martin Bain was running the club on a day-to-day basis. And then I made a point of trying to ensure that Stuart Donald was the recipient of it, both in the context of an email, but also by hand-delivering it to the club. I didn't get any response then. The only response that may be associated with it was I turned up to go to the Charlton Athletic game on the opening day of last season. And when I went to get a ticket, I was told that Charlie Methvin wanted to speak to me. Now, at that particular time, I'd never met Charlie. And I assumed, possibly wrongly, that it would be about the email that had been forwarded and the points raised. But it wasn't possible that particular day because it was the opening day of the season and I've got no doubt they were very busy but there was nothing else followed up from it um, and there's been you know nothing since No, I mean I, I just don't think that on the face of it when a chairperson or a chief executive is the recipient of something like that which doesn't happen often in football you know their instinctive response may well be, well, this is not the way you run a football club and this is not the way you try to resolve the issues that are outstanding. So many are still completely immersed in the idea that if you're going through a period of adversity or your fortunes are consistently fluctuating, 
The way to resolve that is to exchange personnel, either in terms of management, coaching, players, etc. But if you've got underlying issues, and you've got underlying issues to the extent that irrespective of what changes you make in terms of personnel, that those personnel, largely speaking, are going to become infected with the toxins that have plagued the club for as long as they have, then the chances of you becoming successful or prosperous in a meaningful and sustainable manner are reduced significantly. I suppose one analogy I could use is that, I think I've spoken about this before, I'm an alcoholic, right? Now, thankfully, I don't drink now and I've not drank for over a decade. And if you ask many alcoholics who have went through a process of recovery, they will tell you that they deluded themselves for periods by saying, well, it's not really alcohol that's my problem, it's whiskey. So therefore, I'm going to cut down and try and just drink wine. Then, of course, when they find out that they're encountering the same problems with their wine consumption, I know what it is. I'm going to drink lager. It's because I'm drinking the the, the more potent alcohol that it's the problem. And then, of course, they eventually, after going through particularly painful periods, come to the conclusion that it's alcohol. If Sunderland continues to change manager after manager after manager, it's like an alcoholic going through this process of suggesting that it's certain types of alcohol that's the problem. You know, I had to come to the conclusion painfully that, no, it's internal. It doesn't really matter what type of alcoholic drink I have. If Sunderland think, well, we'll just change manager, we'll just change manager, we'll just change manager. If it's some of the most experienced managers in football at the club and it's not worked for them, if it's some of the most, if it's some of the more reputable managers, and Chris Coleman took Wales to the semi-finals of the European Championship, he then took Sunderland to League One, all, and he managed all of this within what, about two years? I mean, you really, really need to think that there might be something out with personnel that is affecting the ability of. And it can be any football club, but we're obviously focusing on Sunderland. Mm-hmm. Um, that's affecting its ability to, you know, create the impression that this is a club that means business and it means it in a consistent manner. You know, well, we're told, and I quote, the piss-taking party will stop. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a much more honest bunch of players, you know, broadly speaking, but, but even then you still see the odd sign that, you know, Maguire with his issues with weight. You know, one or two others, um, maybe during games or whatever the case may be. McGeady's alleged um, issues off the pitch as well. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt, and I'm not saying it would be applicable in every single instance, but there's no doubt when you catalogue everything that would be relevant, that would not happen at a lot of other clubs. Mm-hmm. The players would be frightened, in a sense, mm-hmm. to, to actually think that they could do this, far less get away with it. But sadly, at times, you know, I, I, maybe Aiden's a little bit different because Sunderland's not the first club or management that he's had, mm-hmm. you know, some issues with. So I think um, the thing that worried me about reading the, the obviously the article that we were alluding to came and that was um, when you were coming to the club. This is in the 80s that where hmm. uh, you spoke to an ex Sunderland player who said, Oh, it's like a holiday camp there. Yeah. Now, that to be still the case, what, 30 odd years later, is such a worry for me. 
because we get you I mean you get the odd player like the likes of Quinn and Phillips who are like oh Sunderland were the club that got that got me I love Sunderland Football Club but they're in the, a distinct minority mm. and there's a lot of players who have come here to literally just wind down mm. and the club that we are the fan base that we've got probably deserve a whole lot better now um, you mentioned obviously the toxics and Gustavo Poyet mentioned that as well, and so did Paulo de Canio. And de Canio tried to kind of change that by selling personnel and got sacked for it. I know the results weren't going great anyway, but he tried to maybe change that and was sacked. Mm. So do you think it was maybe kind of a player power or was it something that was running in the club? Because obviously everything's <laughs> changed since when you signed and it's still mm. the same now. Well, I think... To give Paolo Di Canio credit as a footballing person, mm. I think it's in his DNA to be as committed and dedicated as possible. I think that was relevant when he was a, both a player and I think also as a manager. Some of his quotes that suggested he was completely bewildered that players would, even when allowed, take a day off when he felt always that there was areas of his game that he could improve upon. Yeah, yeah. So I think Harry Redknapp had said that in his time as a player at West Ham, even when he was given a day off or allowed a day off, he would still be at the training ground the next day. And I know that Gus Poyet mentioned it, albeit after he'd been at the club, and I included that in the article, or sorry, the email. But, there's a lot of footballers, and I think football culture nowadays would actually exacerbate it, who will, if not continuously motivated, wind down to some degree. I don't know if that's the potential pitfalls that come with getting thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds a week in an environment where players can still receive their wages in their entirety while simultaneously downing tools to a degree. Now, the reason they may down tools is because there may be some sort of hostility or indifference between them and a manager. But for me, the primary ingredients of a club being categorised as a big club is the support that it has, the stadium that it has, and then, of course, you can refer to history and what success has been contained there. And... Of course, with the latter, you would have to go back a considerable period for Sunderland. Mm -hmm. But with regards to the, the former two, then, you know, Sunderland are comparable with, you know, almost any club. You know, OK, you could point to other clubs having a bigger stadium and much more recent success. But as a platform from which to build, it should, you know, this should have been part of the ethos of the the stadium light transition. Yeah. And... Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, the players deserve a lot of credit for the period, you know, the two successive seventh place finishes. But as time has went on and people were starting to question as to whether, well, is this the rule or will time show that these were the exceptions, then it becomes evident that it's the latter. And the reason I formulated the approach that I did is because... Professional footballers who are at one club and still in the employ of that club will very, very, very rarely, if indeed ever, speak ill of the club. When they leave the employ of the club and they're very confident that they won't be returning to it in any capacity, there's a much greater preparedness to be candid about their experiences there. 
when you speak to former professional footballers, perhaps over the age of 35, for example, they are much more confident in their opinions. They have amassed much greater experience and they will be much more willing to speak about their experiences at that particular club. I think if you were to pursue this, getting the players to participate in it would not be an issue whatsoever. A lot of professional footballers, once they stop playing, miss being valued. And of course, this is something quite different. But I've got no doubt whatsoever that if you approached certain former players or former managers, former coaches, they would be willing to take part in this and to give an honest and forthright, if necessary, view of what they see as the failings of Sunderland Football Club quite often away from the public gaze. And what would reinforce my view of that is that Gus Poyet done it voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Gus Poyet done it in the media and interview. Yeah, yeah. So I've got absolutely no doubt that Gus Poyet or Roy or Martin O'Neill or any number of players who have been at Sunderland but also been at clubs that could be construed as comparable would be willing to say, well, you know what? See, when I walked in in my first week at Manchester United or Liverpool, this happened or that happened. And I was fully aware from the very outset that I was going to have to maintain standards as a human being, as a player in training and as a player on the field of play. And some at Sunderland might say, well, we do that. Well, they may well do it or they may well have done it, but it's obviously not been absorbed and sustained by the players Mm -hmm. in the same manner. And I genuinely believe that the club has to go through a complete revolution and it has to have a mentality that this is a club that is going to compete and compete at the highest levels consistently. And for that to be, you know, sustainable to the point that you no longer you 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 would get to a point where it's the club's default position without it always having to be as conscious. Um, you know, look, Alec once Alec Ferguson had certain players at Manchester United for a year or two. He didn't have to tell them every single day. This is a club that demands the highest of success standards, and because the players probably had got it, they'd got it by then. <coughs> Um, maybe what well, there'll be always one or two exceptions. You know, you've got young people you do silly things, of course. Um, but any success that the club has, you know, and you can regard promotion from League One as success, of course. But I'm I'm always really talking about it at a much higher level. Uh, and obviously, when that was written, it was when the club were a Premier League club. Um, and I'm not in any way trying to suggest that I'm prophetic to the point that if they had only listened, none of this would have materialised. I don't believe that for a second because I believe it would take some time to pursue and then to potentially implement. But something has to give. You know, something has to give. Um, Otherwise, you'll have fleeting moments of what look like prosperity before quite often longer periods of suffering. Yeah. (laughs) 
So if we move on with another question, we've got one here from Reese Jenkins who says, Why aren't the fans more disappointed that we're seemingly incapable of getting a result against the so-called better sides away from home? I've seen so much acceptance on social media yesterday. That's kind of what I echoed earlier, really. We'll go to you, Sam, for this one. What do you make of that? Um, in some ways, I do agree. I think I was looking earlier in the season and even going back to last season, we, we struggled against the top six away from home. Um, so maybe I know you and and touched on it earlier. You were saying you were saying we should go win every game, and I do kind of agree with that. Not so much. Um, I think if we don't win every game, we should be raging. I just think yesterday proved to me that on the front foot we are a lot better, even with the defensive formation when we're defending as it is. First off, I believe we were on the front foot and we were desperately unlucky to be 1-0 down, whereas second half it looked a bit like let's sit in and we could have been could have been 4-5-0 in the end. So I don't I, I do agree that there's a lot of acceptance, but it it's also relevant to the form at the minute because it is if we do bounce back from it and we continue the uh, as we were seven unbeaten beforehand, it can be looked at as a blip. But I do think that we should be going away from home with no fear because I, I sort of I know we always get I know we always get told that we've got no right to be winning every game but with Sunderland going away mm-hmm. to Oxford you know what I mean we should be thinking we're going to win the game and we should be winning the game yeah maybe. yeah 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 and and I get the whole I get the whole thing where you said yeah but look you're a League One club and yeah that that's right I mean officially factually yeah, we yeah. are competing in the Sky Bet League One however. If you want to be in the championship next season, you need to compete like, like you need to compete and act like a club mm. who don't want to be a League One club because they wish to get promoted. That's that's the mentality you need. So, I feel like the whole thing of we need to accept we're in League One, or rather, from opposition fans, you need to accept you're in League One. It's you know it it's a, it's either a feeble argument for them or a poor bit of happy clapping from us to really say that we need to we we need to have the ambition and the standard of right. Okay, yeah. We are in League One, but we don't want to be in League One. We need to play like a team who is better than this league because ultimately we need to be the best in this league well, it's, to it's, guarantee getting out of it. It's true in any league. I mean, you look at Leeds, how long they've been in the Championship, and I mm-hmm. don't, I don't, uh, I'm not saying I know too much about Leeds United, but I would, I would like to see a lot of their fans, if not the majority, don't accept they're a Championship club, and why should they? They're always mm-hmm. in and around. Then watching Leeds, they're going every game trying to win, and it's always, it's always good to watch. I mean, they have the odd slip up, but. They're a sort of club that, similar to us, where they shouldn't be, and they have a great back in every week, and they go in every game looking to win every game. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, to, and obviously if promotion's the the objective, then I, I don't begrudge them for that mentality Not at, at all. all, because it's, it's the same one that we're, that we're uh, apl- applying here, really. I mean, the only team that we've really got a good result against that's like, that look to appear to be a promotion-contending team uh, would be Wickham, but obviously I think... I feel like while they are still picking up results, I mean, I I want to believe they've been found out because when we played them, they did not look like a no, team who were at the time top of the league. Yeah. I remember sat there with my dad and I was like, I had to like turn home and just say every now and then, this is the team that are top of the league yeah. we're competing in. Like, yeah. this is a bad team. Like, they are not good. Agree. You know, the, the heads went and they brought Nack and Fenway on 30 minutes. I mean, <laughs> you know, if that's your, that's your power move, then, you know, it's it's very... It's all very gimmicky and it's all yeah. very uh, very feeble. I don't know. What do you think, Ant? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like what Sam says, we have to go, we have to go in thinking that we want to win every game, and we we are where we are in League One, and we want to be winning every game. To slightly play devil's advocate as well, though, with yesterday's result, sometimes as well, and this has not been, you know, t- like you know, taking the result or anything. Sometimes you've just got to take that we got beat yesterday off a team who played better on the day than what we did. You know, that's that's base, that's football. Sometimes you know, you sometimes that happens. You know, you can be the best. You can be the best team in the world and have a bad day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. how you recover from those bad days is is what's going to make the season either a success or not. No, absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. The next question from Simon Harbord says, "What changes need to be made for next week?" We'll go to you, Kieran. Who would you would you introduce any of the, the new lads into the fold from the starting eleven next week? <laughs> well, I suppose. The temptation would be to potentially bring in Kyle Lafferty. And I say that only because one of the concerns that I would have is the lack of goals from open play. And I think if you are aspiring to be in the top six or better still (coughs) to secure automatic promotion, there's going to have to be an improvement in that regard. I know, of course, the, the, the Wickham game, the Lincoln game were... You know, some of the goals, of course, were from open play, but I think Sunderland effectively, with the assistance of the support, blitzed both sides. Um, But I think if you look back over the last three games now, the draw against Doncaster, the victory at Tranmere, and, of course, yesterday at Fratton Park, no goals in all three from open play. The consolation is that Sunderland aren't conceding many goals from open play. Um, So I think... As much as I understand the point about Kyle Lafferty and Charlie White being quite similar in terms of their stature, I think Kyle Lafferty would offer you more of a threat in open play than Charlie White would. And for me, there's always different dynamics at the stadium alike than there is to travelling away. And you would like to think that the what was on display against Lincoln and... Wickham could be replicated you know Lincoln looked like rabbits in the headlights Wickham actually started the first five or six minutes quite well mm-hmm. but then once Charlie White scored the opening goal which was very well worked between Hume and Gooch um, then they they seemed like as you know they were completely oh, their blown heads, away their heads went um, their heads went back to Wickham yeah was, and I mean it's I know it's not really related to the email I sent to the club. I, I, I'm a firm believer that there should be greater interaction between a football club and match-going supporters to go be to allow you to go beyond the cliche of a 12th man, to, to actually you know, give some strong foundations to that. The second goal against Lincoln the Sunderland supporters assisted that more than any other player. I would encourage anyone to go back and watch. The one where <coughs> Lyndon Gooch scored the header. Yeah, when the keeper knocked it off <coughs> yeah, the yeah, wasn't right. it? Yeah. If, you, if you watch the 10 seconds or so before Lyndon Gooch scores the goal and watch it with the sound up, you, you anyone will understand mm-hmm. what I'm getting at. And that was actually a very good example of a, a 12th man. But the, you know, the problem, of course, with the support being classed as a 12th man is that sometimes they can become almost like a, t- a tenth man, you know, where they actually detract a little bit from the confidence of certain players. But this is me going 
a long way round to saying mm -hmm. Kyle Lafferty would be a, a consideration. Um, I've not seen enough of Semenyo. Um, I, I know he's got the odd trick and, you know, bits of skill, but somebody put a video of him the other day on doing, you know, these bits of skill, yeah. bits of, not once did his cross no. find I was gonna say. an intended target. Yeah. Now, you know, you, you really need to have an end product, otherwise everything that precedes it becomes... Well, that's it, oh, isn't it? You know, it's brilliant being an effective footballer and being an entertaining footballer. You know, it's, it's a really wonderful thing and wonderful gift to be blessed with. But fundamentally, you want to be effective at whatever yeah. position you're in. Um, but Kyle Lafferty could do okay. Um, I think per, over a half of a season, I think he would probably get you more goals than Charlie White would. I, I, I would imagine I so. I feel like he's brought in to do the same role fundamentally and I feel like j just from when I've seen him, I mean, again, we've only seen him in half an hour spells on the back end of games where in the most cases we've already been in control of it. Hmm. But I, I do believe that, you know, when you see like defenders or whoever like bring the ball up to him, either, know, like, either on the ground or or overheads, he, he looks like, well, he looks and is a much stronger and much mm. sort of like more physically and technically adept presence than White is. Mm. You know, I didn't see him get pushed over like White did against Doncaster. He seemed just to, he seemed to be like a real target, you know, that whereas with the White, the ball would get to White, but it wouldn't, it would get no further than being in his sort of like peripheral space mm. and the peripheral space of the defender. But any, but like I say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing as well because I, I, I mean, I, I fully agree. Um, I would have Lafferty in for Wyke. And I, I don't know about you, lads, but I would take Dobson or Power. I'd be inclined more so to see Dobson, Dobson out for, for Scowen. Yeah. Yeah. Just so you've got a bit more bite in midfield and more presence up top. Mm, I think that's definitely. that's currently what we're missing. Uh, Gooch and Hume proved to me against Portsmouth in the early stages when I think that confidence was still there and, and they still had a, a foothold in the game that that you know that we're, we're still totally fine on that Hume, flank. Hume, Hume, when you consider his performance... In the opening weeks of the yeah. season, mm -hmm. you know, when you consider him at Ipswich, you know, he looked like a little boy lost. Oh, he was... got taken off at half time. Yeah. yeah. To, to where he is now, it's a remarkable transformation, mm -hmm. and it's great credit to him and his resolve yeah. and his preparedness yeah. to work hard. I mean, I still think there's a lot to work on defensively in, in terms of positional discipline, but bearing in mind his age, that's understandable. He's mm -hmm. been a real plus point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. At the end of the day, he's. He's coming to the folds, you know, from you know, you know, from from the, the the youth team, you know, it was it was a virtually swift mm. transition. He, like he made a few appearances, a few cameos towards the back end of last season, but you know, all all of a sudden, um, Oviedo and James are both gone, and you're you're the, you're the fullback who's starting. You're our first choice fullback now. You know, it's sink or swim, and it looked like sink for the first three games. It really looked like he was plummeting, <laughs> and I I mean I was actually quite. I remember feeling really annoyed at Ross. At the time, I still advocated keeping him, but I remember thinking, is, is it is it is it even is it fair that you're doing this to a young lad? You know, he's come in, you've made him play the same role as Oviedo, and he, and he can't do it. There was no backup either. It was no. just and if there's he no plan B so if you don't pressure. do well. Yeah, yeah, it was either him or McLaughlin out of position, and then for a while, <laughs> yeah, yeah. McLaughlin out of position was actually the better option, which is an indictment of just better. how bad it, it was going for him. Bless him, but no, like I said, just like Kiwi says, that to his credit, he's come back into the fold. He's shown great resolve, and he's. More importantly, he's shown what he can do because when he mm. when he goes forward, you know, at this moment in time, it eclipses the the mistakes he has at the back and the lack of positional awareness. But you know, there's there's that that that's that's not a that's not a, an innate skill that can be learned, and and mm. indeed that is learned. But 
No, um, yeah. I mean, he's my player of the season so far. If I'm being perfectly honest, yeah. Denver Hume. I, th- I think on the balance of everything, yeah. I think I'd, I'd have him. I'd have him currently. He's got a good relationship with Gooch, it seems yeah. as well. They're both full of energy, and they mm-hmm. both don't mind getting up and down. So they're sort of yeah. hard for each other as well. They switch mm-hmm. roles sometimes, That's which it. is yeah. keeps the defenders on the. Toes. Is that because they're both American? Do you think? Denver Hume American? Den- Denver's American. Oh, yeah, that's, oh, true. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it makes Lyndon feel more at home yeah, yeah. or something like that. I don't know. Just hmm. high yeah. five when they run past each other or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to be yeah. fair, though, there's probably a little bit of truth. I mean, the kids at the academy together, they'll have, yeah, they'll have, yeah. I mean, they've both played that role at the plane now for the for the majority of um, their, their youth careers. That, so anyway, last question. Um, this is just a quick one. Literally, we'll go for a yes or no here just to get a really sort of like staff decision of where we're at. Robert Laurie says, yes or no, will we get promoted? And? Yes. Sam? Yes, I can't say no now, can I? Kieran? <laughs> oh, it's taken a while. Don't know. Don't know. Oh, no, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> to be honest, I don't know. I don't, I don't think um, I can have answered that. I actually think in one regard, they've got as much chance of getting automatic promotion as they have of getting into the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. You know, all they could they could potentially miss out because yeah. there isn't much between all of them. My concern would be Rotherham and Peterborough becoming more secure at the back yeah. because they're so free scoring mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you think that they could you know, have a strong case. And Portsmouth, of course, are, be, are really in form. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But no, uh, to be honest, I think it's all well and good me asking quite a, quite a, a polarising question, but I couldn't answer that myself either. I think if you asked me are we going to get promoted? I've, I've I've not got a Scooby. I think you easily could and you easily couldn't because it's just at this moment in time it's very hard to call and there is still yet to be a team to take the league by the scruff of the neck. It's mad to be able to cheat every week. You look at it and think, oh, we're in the playoffs, good position. Then you're thinking, well, we're not far off second, and now I'm thinking, yeah. get back in the playoffs. So uh, I know I feel like you, yeah, you can go from the automatics to outside the playoffs in like two games. Yeah, it's ridiculous, easily. like but. No, um, I think it's really hard to call. It's it is like it's like shuffling the deck of cards, isn't it? Every yeah. every every time there's a different sort of sequence, and it's, it's seemingly in, in no sort of like constructive order. But anyhow, the very last thing we've got to do then before we sign off is the predictions for the Ipswich game. Obviously, as we've said many a time before, this is another very big game. You know, we're hopefully the lessons from Portsmouth have been learned with regards to it. But we'll go around the table again. Give me what you think the game will be. The scorers, and if you'd like a very brief synopsis, we'll start with you, Sam. Um, I think we're touching on it earlier. It's, it's it's important that we respond in the right way, and I think it'll be interesting as well because Ipswich got battered at home, so their fans will be sitting there the same as us, saying mm. we need a response. So it's whoever comes out on top, but I do think we'll win. I think it'll either be one one or two nil. I think it'll be a tough game, um, but hopefully the defence is solid and we we'll nick a goal and maybe one near the end as well. Mm. So what are you going to go for in the end then? If you're going to give a... 2-0, um, Lafferty and Gooch. Decent. Kieran, what about you? 2-1, home victory. Right, who's your scorers? Lafferty and... One of the defenders from a set piece. Yeah. Who scores first, one of ours or one of theirs? Sunderland will score first. Lafferty. 
Lafferty. Yeah. Mm. Geez, you, you're very specific. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Have to be. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and Kieran, name, names and addresses, please, of yeah. all the people that will be in the attendance. Kieran, what's the blood type of the first one? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I get a bit 20 questions with stuff like this. Anyway, and last yeah. one. Yeah, I think it will be 2-1. Um, I'm going to go up four. I'm going to sound so boring. Lafferty. Um, and Ali Mozturk. Well, that's if he comes back in at the fold. Hopefully, he, he will. does. Yeah, he, he will. And I just quickly say as well, um, Joel Lynch. Fingers crossed, the injury isn't as bad because it looked horrendous. Oh, yeah, so, and all the best wishes for him. Well, that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I speak for speak for everyone here in the yeah. studio when I say that we, we do wish Joel Lynch a very speedy recovery because it looked like a fairly. Well, I say fairly. It did look like a like a very serious injury yesterday, but you know, fingers crossed that the, the recovery is sort of swift and and, and straightforward. But yeah, um, if I'm looking at that game, it's going to be a win, and I think it will be, to be honest. I think it'll be 1-0, and I think it'll be Lafferty. I think that'll be Lafferty's first goal. He's a player who pops up, I think, with big goals, doesn't he? That's all of his thing. That was, that was always his thing yeah. with Rangers, Lafferty. I yeah. think. It, it, he used to give Celtic, in particular, a torrid time yeah. at both Rangers and Hearts. You know, understandable that he would be perhaps motivated more when he was playing in a Glasgow derby, but he doesn't mind the physical confrontations. Mm-hmm. I know he's had issues to contend with off the field, but you would like to think that he would be able to act out a lot of the warmth that he seemed to show when he spoke in the opening stages of his Sunderland career. You know about... I think he probably thought his chances of playing at a club of this stature had gone. Mm-hmm. You know, so you would like to think that not only appreciates it internally, but he then goes out and produces. He sort of said that in his interview, I think. He was saying he's surprised he didn't come uh, here when he was in his 20s, so now the opportunity at 32, I think he said he was over the moon to yeah. get the call. Hopefully that's that's paid in spades because we we need someone like Lafferty now more than ever. I think yeah. we've got to make a difference. But anyway, that's where we'll leave that for today. So thank you, everyone, for listening to the Roker Report podcast. And just one final note, there are a small number of tickets available for Friday's International Fans event at the Fans Museum where Roker Report will be featuring a live podcast. The tickets are just £5 and all proceeds will go to help fund next season's Mental Health Hub with Washington Mind. So please contact the Fans Museum if you wish to find out any further details. Thank you always, thank you as always to our host Sunland Uni to make sure you get the latest Roker Report podcast as soon as they are released. Remember to subscribe to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That can be YouTube, Acast what have you, I'm sure I've missed out, some I always do. <laughs> and I think there's a final note as well, like Anne says, we, uh, obviously everyone at Ro- the Roker Report and Roker Report wish Joel Lynch a speedy recovery after that injury yesterday at the time of recording. We're yet to receive an update on the condition, so fingers crossed that all is well and he'll be okay. So, thanks for coming in, lads. Thank you, Ant. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank, thank you, Sam. No, thanks. Enjoyed it. And thank you, Kieran. No, and thank you very much for asking me. Oh, you're very welcome. You're, you're always very welcome. Thank you very much and good night. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.